Hi, everybody. I'm George, and this is The Best Little Horror House in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest, at least. And today's guest is is just wonderful. I'm so happy to have her here. She's a comedian, a writer. You might know her from Thundercats Roar and Gay of Thrones. Plus, her Twitch channel at Joan Haley Ford has been absolutely delightful to watch. And that's her. Welcome, Joan. <laughs> Hi, George. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely our pleasure. And you're a huge horror fan. It's it's, it's yes. like one of your big things. How did that love start for you? What was it like something you were into for a long time or is it a more recent love? No, it's definitely something I've been into for like a, a very long time, like since childhood. Like I can remember, like I feel like a lot of like my defining like movie experiences were like staying up way too late on like Saturday nights watching like Monster Vision on TNT. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I feel like horror for me was a very I remember being like really little and like really kind of terrified and scared of horror movies and never wanting to watch them and then when I finally kind of like by force or by accident got exposed to these things and I you know I discovered that they still were scary but I could still that I could get through them I think it was like this this like a little bit of like badge of honor at, at, a, at a very young age yeah. where it felt like it felt like oh it's I'm cool it's like a cool and it's I'm brave I can actually uh, like get through these things so I think that kind of like bonded me with horror for life just looking at it as a kind of you know it was it was a big moment for my life when I first started watching horror and being like I can get through these and I think yeah that's just what kind of made me a fan for life yeah that's so funny because I was on the other side where I was also very scared but I was like oh they can make it through they're so cool <laughs> yes <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, horror was definitely, uh, it was a, a late blooming love for me, but, uh, but yeah, I was, I was a very cowardly little child. Um, me too. <laughs> yeah. I think the only reason I got, th- and I, and this is also a move, like one of my favorite movies. And I think what, like, I'm a reason I'm bonded to this movie, like so hard, but the, like the first movie I remember it being like, I was so scared of ever seeing the movie Gremlins. Oh, yeah. And then a friend of mine, like forced me to watch it at a sleepover. And it was, t- it was at that age, it was, like, terrifying, but it was also, sure. like, oh, I, I did it. Like, this thing that I was, like, so scared of ever watching and seeing, like, I got through that I just, like, I like that. I like that. I like that rush. Yeah. Do you, did you, can, can I ask, did you have, like, a first movie like that that really, like, solidified your love of horror, even at, at a later age? Yeah, Friday the 13th was the first of, like, the big franchises that I was, like, all right, this is what I'm going to go through, and I'm making an active effort to be into horror, and... There was just such uh, such a great combination of like the Tom Savini effects and mm-hmm. just such a classic horror atmosphere. Like it, the reason that there are so many camp horror movies is because it's yeah. so relatable for so many people. And, and I went to camp and I had those fears and I was from New Jersey. And so having it be like right from there. All of these things really just combined. Yeah, actually, we, I, I'm, I'm, I just rewatched uh, 3D. Nice. I think that pro- that's prompted me because I just did like a uh, nightmare rewatch. I, th- I think I want to do a th- Friday the 13th rewatch now too. But it does kind of like I think you're so right that it does. I think there's something about. I mean, obviously, camp just like aesthetically and, and geographically is like a great setting for horror because you know you're alone and you're in the woods. There's like stuff. Or, there's a lot of interesting things around yeah. that like. 
like a lot it's secluded that it can make for interesting kills but also it is like I feel like a lot of kids like first taste of like independence and it's like a th- exciting but scary to be away by yourself and I think that really those kind of even if you're not processing those kind of nostalgic feelings of like this is where I was first like on my own and it was scary but I like it, it like really adds to the atmosphere the kind of the sensation of it being just like perfect for horror oh yeah i mean plus you got 10 jewish kids in a cabin sitting there telling ghost stories at each other and they're yeah. uh, you know it's it's definitely ripe for horror i, I totally yeah. agree is there a subgenre that you find yourself more drawn to in terms of horror I do, and I think it's going to, like, tie... It's, it ties into the movie I mentioned, and it's going to, like, tie into the movie we're talking about today. I'm really a big fan of, like, fantasy horror, which, you know, I think a lot of... Like, technically, all horror is kind of fantasy in one way or... I mean, not all, but, you know, like, right. a lot... You could argue that, you know, by the time you get to... Jason being reanimated that is those are fantasy elements <laughs> sure. but I th- I think the stuff that like really like brings in not just kind of like ele- like fantasy elements but really like tonally is are become like kind of fantasy films you know be they anything ranging from Death Becomes Her to even like the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies like I think I'm realizing like my favorite like Nightmare on Elm Street movie is four and even though or three and four but probably three and four right. and I feel like those are the ones that most feel like that have real you know Alice in Wonderland vibe. Yeah, um, the kids really all coming are, together and building this team. Yeah, and in 4, how it's kind of about, like, 4 really, like, gets into the kind of, like, d- logic of, like, being in a dream. There's, like, that great scene where, you know, the first time I I, I rewatched 4 recently and I forgot about this, but that scene where, like, Alice keeps, like, repeating the same actions over and over, and the yeah. first time you watch that, you're like, wait, what are you, wait a second, wait, is this a, is this really, ha- did I... Did I just have, like, a a deja vu? Did I just watch this? I think it, like, really... Like, I think stuff that really, like, keys into, like, the fun fantasy, like, horror elements of horror. And you can go, like... You can go, like, really goofy like that with, like, Gremlins... Like, stuff like Gremlins 2 or Death Becomes Her. And you could go, like, a little darker like that with, like, some of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies and, like... I don't know. I just rewatched um, Com- The Company of Wolves, which I, like, love. Oh, yeah? I-, I actually am not familiar with that one. Oh, Company of Wolves is, like, Neil Jordan's second film. It is a kind of... Well, the best way to describe it is that it's, like, a... It's Little Red Riding Hood as, like, a horror film. Oh, cool. But it's kind of more, like, div- like exploring the like the psychosexual undertones of Little Red Riding Hood. Um, it was, like, made in 84, so it was definitely during that, like... Everyone was just trying to, like, outdo themselves with, like, werewolf yeah. <laughs> uh, effects. And there's some great werewolf effects in it. Most of it takes place in, like, the... Like, in colonial times, and you've got, like, Angela Lansbury playing, like, the, old, the, yeah. the like, grandma. It's so, it's so good. And, <laughs> yeah, it's very fun. Very, like, uh, you know, a little bit of forgotten in a... Like, 84 was a good year for horror. It was a good year for fantasy horror, because that's when Gremlins and the first nightmare came out and i think it's like a good little overlooked uh you know kind of forgotten about gem and definitely definitely worth checking out i'm going to absolutely it sounds great i love angela lansbury so <laughs> yeah if you want like good like you know like like 52 year old angela lansbury <laughs> playing like eight like i guess she just then she just got to play like she i think she got old fast but then she was allowed to play like old for like the next yeah. like 40 years <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, a wonderful 40 years they were, Miss Lansbury yeah. out there. <laughs> she still shows up. She was in, in Mary Poppins. Hell so, yeah. You know. Hell yeah. Yeah. But the movie that we're talking about today, as much as those movies are all wonderful, we're talking about The Witches of Eastwick, a 1987 yes. movie directed by George Miller and based on 
John Updike's book from three years earlier, mm-hmm. although there are several changes from the book, primarily things scrapped for pacing and budget. And I'll, I, I figured that we would talk about those at the end, just so that there's more context sure. for people. But the movie also has a great score done by John Williams mm-hmm. of most of your favorite 80s movies fame. <laughs> that and the sound design were nominated for Academy Awards, but lost to The Last Emperor, which was done in part by David Byrne, interestingly. Interesting. Or maybe uninterestingly. I don't know. I like David Byrne, but... I love Dave. I love David Byrne. I... I- I haven't watched The Last Emperor in a long time, and I now I want to rewatch it just to be like clue in, uh, key into that fact, yeah. like watch it for the David Byrne sound design. Yeah, especially since I mean this score is really great, and so to check out Ooh. what they were like, oh, this is an even better score. You know, it's definitely yes. that plus David Byrne is certainly something that makes me want to go back and check it out again. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good year for score yeah. for scores. Also, you know what I I'm gonna say I obviously for for reasons we don't need to get into, but you know I'm I definitely kind of rescinding my uh, Harry Potter. Fan fandom and I feel like this score like I feel like this is it hits all the good things about the John Williams Harry Potter scores yeah. in, a, in a way I kind of like that I, th- I mean obviously this is a movie I more grew up with this movie so maybe that's why it speaks to me a little bit more but I think like if you want that like kind of like jaunty but like haunting yeah. like uh, John Williams fantasy horror score this is great co-signed Totally agree. And uh, this movie stars uh, Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. What a starring trio. I I can't believe it. And Veronica Cartwright is also excellent in it. She's so good in it. And I feel like she gets overlooked a lot when people are talking about this movie. She's so good. And I was thinking about watching this today. I went to the movie thinking, like, you know, if I was in this movie, like, let's say you're, like, you know, taking Nick, like, because Nicholson is, like, having a ball. Like, he's, (laughs) like, the. but let's say, like, if I was, like, which of the three would, like, if you were in this movie, if you were getting cast in this movie, which of the three would you want to play? And I was, like, oh, no, you'd want to, like, I, you want to be Veronica Cartwright because she, like, just gets to have, like, every... I'm, like, watching that. I'm, like, there's no way she just wasn't having, like, a <laughs> fucking blast this into... Like, everything she got to do was so arch and so over the top. Flail about a church screaming about horrors. Yeah. Like, that had to be, like, the best day of filming. Oh, I'm sure she was having an absolute blast. And it's so fun to think about things that even got cut. Like, when she's... Not spoiler alert. I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. But yeah. when she's throwing up the cherry pits, like, there was supposedly a way bigger scene that was yes. like a, a, a puppet that flailed about and everything and her Ugh. her character the fact that it escalates to that point is such a fun journey to watch her go on and and degrade mentally so like degrade mentally and also just like physically it's a it's it's such an impressive performance yeah. she's such a delight in it i also think like Top, like, lost footage that I'd, I'd love to see is definitely up there is that, like, Veronica Cartwright cherry barf puppet. <laughs> um, I wish I wish we could see that. Like, that's up there with, like, the, all, the like, cut ending of Friday the 13th 3D for yeah. me of terms of, like, shit I'd love to see. Because that's, like, one of the, one of the, I, I think this is such, like, a tight, well-constructed movie. Like, every scene, every scene just works. Like, Mil- I mean, it's, it's Miller, so obviously the one, the one part that's weird, there's clearly some something cut out of that cherry pit scene yeah. because they kind of like cut away and they cut back. It's like, oh, I guess Richard Jenkins murdered, killed her. Yeah. It's kind of hard to, and they like, it's like, oh yeah, they cut something there. Yeah, definitely. And they, they kind of 
give you enough around it that you're you, you yeah. are able to pick up on it but in a, in a movie where the editing is so precise so much of the time it does stand out yeah. a little bit it definitely stands out and also you know just like that it, it, it feels like a weird one weird yeah. scene where the movie like holds back and it you know, like yeah you know but small fake small absolutely things. and also i'm curious for the audience out there tell us what you're most wanted to see lost footages uh for me it's probably uh the event horizon footage that yes. fell apart but uh yeah tell us out there what you want to see yeah that or the the pie fight from dr strange oh yeah <laughs> Definitely, definitely. Um, and, and yeah, you, like you mentioned, Jack Nicholson is just having a grand old time as, in yeah. his role as the devil here. It's a really fun performance. This is Cher's only horror movie, but everyone else has been involved in the genre here and there. Susan Sarandon did Rocky Horror Picture Show. Nicholson is famous for The Shining, and he and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer both did Wolf. And Wolf, yeah. Veronica Cartwright leads the pack with Alien, The Birds, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, three mm-hmm. genuinely amazing movies and she is great in all of them so yeah this is turning into the veronica cartwright fan yeah <laughs> i mean why not god she deserves what she deserves one yeah. like how's that someone should like a, a veronica cartwright like filmography podcast yeah. would be uh, uh like a fun time i agree give us that retrospective someone out there yeah <laughs> The Witches of Eastwick was originally set to be filmed in Little Compton, Rhode Island, but people were divided about whether the church should be involved in the filming of this. And so Warner Brothers was like, uh, we don't need to stand around here and wait for this. And they just kind of like fucked off to Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, we're going to just film up here. Which is perfect. Such yeah. a, like, it's a great, what a, it's such a wonderful like horror movie. Like, you know, especially like fantasy horror movie setting. Like anything like New England-y yeah. or like Salem-y is like, like just perfect for any for any kind of witch story but this t- like and i i don't really know like what's ta- the actual town and what's set built set but god there's so many great locations of this movie oh, particularly yeah. like i die for Cher's house in this the kind of like little like river house yeah. that's, like oh, extended over the river like kind of like a soho artist loft but it's also cabiny and it's on the river and there's like a like god like i would like it's like that's definitely like yeah like <laughs> top five movie house i'd love to live in yeah it's it's really great Shooting started on July 14th, 1986, and like you say, there were a ton of uh, locations that they filmed across over the course of the six weeks, various towns in Massachusetts, and the Lennox Mansion itself was actually filmed across several locations. Castle Hill in Ipswich, uh, Massachusetts was the exterior. The lobby of the Wang Center in Boston was the main hall. And then there were interiors at Greystone Mansion in Beverly Hills. And the swimming pool and Daryl's Library were sets built on the Warner Brothers back lot. So four places just for that one mansion. Mm. <laughs> you know what's funny? I'm realizing I've been to like a kind of like a, a, a bunch of those places inadvertently. Wow. There, yeah, hey, there you go. It. It's, it's meant yeah. to be. I guess so. Yeah, I've been. To, I've definitely been to like the set at Warner Brothers that ha- that was like you know, e- which is of Eastwick filmed here. Right. Obviously. Long gone, but I do like back by the, the when I back when I worked at Warner Brothers, I was always I would like just be I would love going to the lot and being like, once upon a time, you know, clamp. This was where Clamp Tower was. Yeah. 
<laughs> hey, I would do absolutely the same. Yeah. And there's a, a small carving shop in Situate, Massachusetts, which which I did consult a Massachusetts for this. Yes. <laughs> so uh, that is the pronunciation that they gave me. Uh, led by woodcarver Paul McCarthy was hired to hand carve all the wooden signs for the businesses in the movie, which mm-hmm. I really like that they like invested back into the community yeah. like that, hired someone local to carve all these really nice signs that uh, are absolutely gorgeous give it such a nice feeling um it's great yeah it's so little of it has like if if any of it like has a kind of like fakey set feeling to it and i think yeah just building out from the actual like talents of this of, of this east coast community i think really helps to give it that flavor definitely George Miller did have a tough shoot, thanks to the studio. In a meeting about reducing the budget, Miller volunteered to give up his trailer because he was like, oh, I'm always on set. I'm never using it. Uh, And so the studio was like, oh, we can do whatever we want with this pushover. Yes. Um, And uh, they basically just started interfering and cutting back on stuff. Uh, Some major examples that I found were asking for 50 extras and only getting a dozen and only getting one camera instead of two. So uh, not very nice. <laughs> yes, and like a uh, I mean, it was it was really Nicholson who like who, like I a thing I always heard is like Nicholson really believed in Miller, and it was like Nicholson stepping in and being like both going to Warner Brothers and being like no, you're going to give this guy what he wants, and then going to Miller and being like hey, like I believe in you, but you gotta be you can't like you know you gotta like stand pick your fights and like really stand up for the shit you believe in. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, Miller was like I don't know what to do, and he started just like refusing to do anything but the studio was like we're just going to replace you and so Nicholson went in and he was like if you replace Miller, I am also leaving the shoot. And it was it took him going there and and kind of having his back for for Miller to yep. finally get get this financial support that he needed. But I mean, the interference wasn't even just financial. Miller said that producer John Peters um, yes. would just like randomly decide that he wanted stuff in, including uh, an aliens. aliens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, for those who've seen the movie, um, it's a pretty wild movie. But there is no place for an alien. <laughs> No, God no! It's it, it it I don't understand where they would go where they would go unless it was you know some very uh, I mean the movie does not not work tonal like I'm the uh, I'm trying to think of movies where I'm like what's that movie where like an alien just shows up like three fourths the way in and I'm like I guess like the man who wasn't there but like that's a weird that's a weird like lyrical Coen Brothers yeah. like like you know exploration of the sound like i get like yeah that's not what this movie is at all yeah it's uh maybe if this movie also had a quiet billy bob thornton <laughs> then the yeah. alien would work but unfortunately no such luck and uh miller yeah. miller thinks that peters was influenced by the box office success of alien which came out yeah. or aliens excuse me which came out in 86 and so imagine seeing this like action movie <laughs> Yeah, like that's gotta go in our fantasy horror movie. (laughs) Yeah, it's this. I do. It's like this weird trade off of you know. I feel like so much of that's just very like coked up eighties like blockbuster producer thinking and. I think in in re- like you look back at like the eighties now and like we only really look at the gems and we're like you know like Back to the Future or this or whatever else. These, there's just such wild ideas for movies like they would not get made today. They're too in they're too crazy and it's like you need like a coked up eighties producer <laughs> to be like fuck yeah let's make a movie about Marty Mc- like Marty McFly almost fucks his mom. That's a movie <laughs> that should be made and it's like we but we we need those coked up eighties producers to like take those insane risks but also they probably also ruined a lot of movies and they almost ruined. 
this one. Yeah, it's true. There's got to be at least one person who can kind of rein them back a little bit and be like, okay, yeah. we, we use all of the good stuff, none of the bad stuff. I, we need, like, is John Peters still alive? Pair up, like, Kevin Feige and, like, John Peters. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> let John Peters go go crazy. Like, uh, 80s John Peters. Right. Let's put, pluck 80s, <laughs> coked up John Peters out of time, put him next to Kevin Feige, and then, like, you know, Kevin Feige can be like, like, no, 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 it all has to fit in our vision. <laughs> but then, like, every, but then, like, Peters can be like, fuck, no, what? We're making, like, you know, this needs some crazy bullshit in here. Hell, I, look, I would like both. I'm on board. Perfect duo. <laughs> they, uh, you know, it's like, it's it's the odd band. That's, or just to say, that's the odd couple, you know? Yeah. Two producers working together. One's like a, one's a wild, like, 80s guy and the other's like the most like regimented like meticulous like every movie must fit together (laughs) and they just they have to make they have to run a studio together perfect perfect i'm green lighting this right now great (laughs) but yeah it even went to the point where he showed up with a stuntman dressed as an alien and he told miller to put him in a scene any scene It's the quote yeah. that I saw. That's, I mean, I hate that, but I love that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm glad it didn't get in, and I, like, and I feel, and I'm like, I feel bad for George Miller that he had to put up with that, but also, I love that. Yeah. I love that, it. just like, yeah, but like, someone so bold, yeah. so convinced that, it, like, an, it, like, this is, <laughs> like, this insane idea is right. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, but yeah, Miller and Nicholson left the set until uh, Peters gave up on this fixation. So, yeah. they were the two. They were the Feige in this situation, but. Yeah, every situation needs a Feige if you don't <laughs> like it. The adult in the the adult in the, the book. Right. Like you can't have only Feige, which is why, like you know, listen. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I, I not to d- delve too deep in this. I'm not. I'm no MCU hater, but also like they all they can get boring. Absolutely. Hey. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Do some co- or just have him Kevin Feige do some cocaine. <laughs> loosen up, That's, Kev. Come on, yeah. Man. Loosen up, Kev. You just need to let loose. <laughs> Snort some blow, like you know, it's fine. You can like, you can ruin a couple of these. Like these, you can ruin a couple of these movies. Yeah, they built up so much goodwill co- with their fan base yeah. that like, yeah, like- time to let loose, <laughs> do some blow, and just like you know, maybe you'll come out with gold. But I want to, I want to see what happens. This movie, so it finally released in June of 1987 to mostly positive reviews. With one that I particularly enjoyed coming from Ruth Crawford, mm-hmm. who mentioned that. The film includes many fantasy elements. By far the most fantastic of them is the depiction of a single mother of five who has to work for a living and still has plenty of time and energy left to engage in wild adventures of sex and magic. If being a witch gives you the ability to do that, quite a few women I know would, would be very happy to sign up at the nearest yes. coven. Sums no, it up. Yeah, there I are, think that uh, captures the fantasy elements. Yeah, and- I mean, there are definitely parts of this movie where you're like, who is watching Michelle Pfeiffer's children? She has six kids. She has six kids. And, like, opening scene, we establish these six kids. And then, like, two scenes later, she's having, like, martini and, like, cocktails and hors (laughs) d'oeuvres. Like, which looked amazing. That looks like my perfect night. But, like, with her two gal pals. And it's like, who, (laughs) your divorce, like, your your husband's left you. Who is watching these children? (laughs) Carol Strutchin is watching them. Fidel. I mean, they say they, yeah, I guess they all just watch (laughs) each other. There's six of them. What do you, who Yeah. Mommy has to go get loaded. (laughs) Good for you, Michelle. (laughs) But it was also a commercial success in addition to getting positive buzz. It made $64 million on a $22 million budget. It's always nice when on this show we don't have to be like, uh, everyone got it wrong yeah. and <laughs> it failed. And now we have to go back and correct the record. Yeah, I, we like the things that we like to do well. So good yes. job, which is a Good job, which is. <laughs> to get into the actual movie, I love the opening mm-hmm. shot just right away it's this gorgeous aerial shot of this little town and the leaves are like mostly green but they're beginning to turn over and it is pure 
autumn. It It just gives you the feeling of the movie immediately, especially when that score kicks in. Oh, yeah, man. it's very well. I do. I'm and, a big fall fan. It is a. It is a very like fall movie, and like the way that kind of like most East Coast New Englandy movies feel. Like, they just feel like they come alive at fall. Yeah, yeah. It is a beautiful. It is a beautiful opening. Sh- like just everything works in tandem to like really just immediately get you into the world and the feeling of this movie. Yeah, and they hit you with the names of the three uh, main actors, yeah. and it's such an exciting moment to be like, oh, I'm in such good hands yes. here. Like with these. With this cast and the way that this shot is set up and everything, you're just really like it's such a such a yeah, and all like yeah, all like full on like movie stars at this point, you know, like. Right. I mean, you know, there's that whole argument of, like, do we even have movie stars now? But just, like, oh, like, all across, the, just the four main, our four leads are just, like, full-on movie stars. Mo- I think all at, like, the peak of, like, their thing. And then also, like, you got, yeah. you got Veronica, and then eventually we get Veronica Cartwright. And also, like, Richard Jenkins, like, like two decades before, I love like, Richard he's going to be, like, Richard <laughs> Jenkins. Absolutely. And it, it's it's so great. And like you said, it's it Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer just kind of right in the peak of their their uh, the height of their powers yeah. and they play uh, Alexandra Medford, Jane Spofford, and uh, Suki Ridgemont, respectively, who are three dissatisfied women living in the picturesque town of Eastwick, Rhode Island. And Cher has said that she was basically forced upon this movie by the studio because she was so hot at the time. And she would even go on to win the Academy Award that year for Moonstruck, mm-hmm. which is a movie. Another great, yeah. And, <laughs> um, and she was offered the role of Jane. But she wanted to be Alex, uh, Alexandra, the role that um, Susan Sarandon had been hired to play. And Susan Sarandon didn't discover that she wasn't playing Jane until she showed up on location. And what... Like imagining that different movie is so 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 wild. (laughs) Like her... And... and yeah, it's very it's very wild because Sarandon Sarandon you know it's like Sarandon is tapping a, in a little bit to her like things she does so well in like Rocky Horror too where she starts the movie as you know kind of of our of the circle of the three friends like she's the the most prudish but like by like the yeah. halfway point she's kind of like grown into like this you know or, or, or blossomed into like a little bit of like a like a sex bomb lounging at the, like lounging at the pool and like like munching that like a lot of great like phallic eating like eating phallic things in this movie but like like don't like strutting through the grocery store in like a mini dress and like <laughs> pumps and socks and like just eat like yeah i don't think Cher could have handled i mean Cher's great but i don't think she could she could do like the i think she couldn't get to the starting point that sarandon does like sarandon like is the is like the i Michelle Pfeiffer definitely can too because she she does it so well in uh, Batman Returns but like Sarandon is really like can start so mousy and go to so like sexy I yeah she's perfect for it yeah Cher has a a je ne sais quoi an attitude that is just too she has too much charisma exuding off her at all times she can't bury it yeah uh, yeah she knows she's a rock star and that's uh, that's the problem, um, but it works perfectly for Alex, which is great. And um, this did this sort of the studio 
being like George Miller, you have to put Cher in this movie, led to some bad blood between Miller and Cher, and he reportedly phoned her up to berate her on her 40th birthday, which I was like reading these quotes. I was like, George Miller, what the hell? Yeah, man? I don't like that, George like, this Miller. Is so fucked up. You got yeah. a, yeah, you got um, a, um, you got like, you got the, you got a star. You got like the perfect person for this. Like, I don't know, deal with it. Yeah, I agree. Angelica Houston also read for Alex, which I think would have been interesting, and reportedly Pam Greer, which was uh, was considered. Which really? I mean, oh yeah, yeah. Be still, my heart. I mean, I know. don't. I love what we have, and I like looking at it. I'm like, I don't want to lose Absolutely. any of the actors that we have. But man, if Pam Greer was in that, who yeah, boy. she would also be like, you know. Uh, would she she have been the like only like the movie needs it? But like, would she have been like the only yeah. like person of color in the movie? I can't think of anyone. I can't think of anyone else. I said maybe right. like the, <laughs> I think there might be like a kid in like Susan Sarandon's like uh, band class, but that's, class. Uh, that's probably about it. Yeah, crowd shots. Yeah. That's it. So it would have been nice, cool thing to uh, think of. What if? Mm-hmm. But um, we did get three great actors for uh, for these women and and they're they're it's a great movie that we got as a result so unfortunately pam yeah would have loved you, you lost like, yes, out but like one of the few people that i could really see killing that role just as hard as Cher. pam greer's up pam greer definitely yeah same kind of same kind of yes. rockstar attitude in my opinion and after this aerial shot, we finally get a chance to meet them all. Um, Alex is a sculptor, and we open up. We see her working on these, like, fertility figures, uh, very uh, Venus of Willenstein, or, uh, yeah, I think that's the name of it. Um, and uh, there are many already in her studio, mm-hmm. and she starts chatting with one of her daughter. Uh, with with her, her one, one daughter, daughter yes. excuse me. She only has the one. And then we see uh, Suki in the garden, surrounded by her six daughters. And she works at the Eastwick Word, which is the local paper. She works for Richard Jenkins' yes. character, who is married to Veronica Cartwright's who, who, like, character. I, I never, I, I always, like, have trouble parsing this out, but it's like, she's somehow more in, in like, control of the newspaper. Like, she owns it. It's her family's thing or something. Because it's, yeah. like, later it's implied that Jenkins, like, has to, like, take orders from her for the paper. Yeah, it's it seems like yeah her, her she owns it and he's just like the editor yeah. in chief or something like that and uh, and she she does like yeah she says you have to run this and yeah um it's it's an interesting like, I know dynamic we're at it, but it's like run this story about these three women being whores like that's that's the <laughs> new that's like please this hot front page news. <laughs> Uh, and it it does show up on the front yeah, page. Yeah, uh, basically a front page, like which I guess is like I I I do think that is how like small towns operate. Like word, get, like yeah. you know, everyone knows everything, and word gets around, and gossip is news because there's no real, there's like not a lot of real news. But yeah, there is just like the fact that like all these women are are having sex is like a is like a scandal. Yeah. And then finally over at the school, Jane is a music teacher with she has no children, but there is still sort of this interesting like maternal connection yes. that they build with yes. her because she has several kids in a way as this mm-hmm. teacher and her divorce is final as Hooray. of today. Congrats to Jane. <laughs> And uh, Walter Neff, I, I I couldn't tell if he was like the principal or the minister I think he's the principal. or what this guy. 
I okay. That's why that's why yeah. I suspected. But uh, so yeah, her principal Walter Neff is like this sleazy little scumbag guy who rolls in and can, confirms yeah. her divorce great, and then yeah. gooses great her. Great sleaze bag type character, like fits right up there with with what's its face from like Die Hard. Absolutely, and I I love there's this happens a couple times, but there are just like little jokes in the script that where she she's like, all right, everyone horns yeah. up, and like it's just such a silly little like wordplay. Yes, joke. a lot of <laughs> like, yeah, a lot of like great. little like yes, yes, little sex innuendo in there yeah also interestingly maybe is that walter neff is also the name of the guy in double indemnity i don't know what the connection would be but yeah probably just some (laughs) some screenwriter being like i need a name no one yeah yeah i I love double indemnity imdb doesn't really doesn't exist right now there's no way anyone could like really like double check this that i just took this name from another movie And in addition to Jane's divorce, uh, Alex and Suki have lost their husbands as well. Alex has died, and Suki's abandoned her because she had too many kids, um, which... Fun fact, Suki's husband, that's your fault. Yeah, yeah. Too. I mean, yeah. So. There's, co- there's co-ownership of, of, of that situation. Yeah. Walter gives this speech. And, like, in the town... The reason that Jane was... Uh, she was prepping the, the kids for this, like, big like town meeting uh, over in front of the church. And he gives this lecture about morals and he, he drones on and on yeah. and on. And no wonder the devil comes to town because that is hell. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> uh, small town. Ch- yeah. Small towns with their, their like prudish all American values. No, thank you. It's, it's, it's right. I mean, even just the, the few seconds you're immediately like, I understand why they are so impatient here and, and like stressed yeah. out um, and pent up. Yeah. It's all like very like repressed. Absolutely. One thing I did think was interesting is that in his speech, he starts talking about families coming together and the bonds of community that bind them. And I was like, almost like a coven. Yes, yes. So well, yeah, go. I mean, I think, so, and, and, you know, so much, I think, like, I think there's a lot going on underneath, underneath the surface of the film, which I think makes it a really fil- interesting film to talk about and explore. Um, but I do think there yeah. is kind of this rebel, you know, ultimately at the heart of the film is this kind of, push against the idea of, like, what is a, like, you know, what is a traditional family? Because ultimately, like, what these women are, like, searching for and what they kind of, like, find at the end is, a is like, a family with each other. So, you know, you right. start, and, you know, we can get kind of get more than that at the end, but, you know, you start it with this idea of, like, this guy, like, setting, like, setting down, like, what is... Uh, this is a traditional family. Let's talk about it. Let's set these parameters, and anything that ex- exists outside of it is like weird and abnormal and wrong. And like, really, it's like you know, when you get to like what these characters, you know, they call each other family throughout the film, but like, really, like their journey and their want is like kind of getting to a place where they can like exist as that family without the rest anyone like anyone else like dictating what that is or or judging them so yeah they like set that up like real early yeah it's it's a really great setup too because it's you're so like forced to watch yeah. it it's not sugar-coated in anything the fact that you're supposed to be annoyed by this setup is perfect yeah. for the payoff it down puts the line you in the it puts you like in the headspace of our main characters and to that end jane looks up at the clear blue sky and she's frustrated and impatiently tapping her foot and the wind picks up and a storm rolls yeah. in to drive apart this event. The it's a Thursday night and so they the three women have this classic weekly yeah. meeting that they do and so they gather up 
and they all mention that they had all been hoping some variant of I hope it rains or yes. that it, it it gets broken up and Fife Dog seems pretty uh, plussed by this. She's yeah. disturbed. But the other two are just like, eh, whatever. Like, come on, let's let's just get to yeah. hanging out. But let's she get, definitely takes notice. Yeah, let's of get it. to let's get to our like gym, uh, like Martin gin martinis and cheese whiz, which always looks so like <laughs> good when I watch that. When I watch this movie, like I don't know why there's that combination seems it's definitely gross, but also like I don't know, it is like <laughs> Ugh, like I love that scene, like kind of that scene we just discussed, the 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 speech scene juxtaposed with that. It, like it just gets you at like yeah, you get where these where these women are. Like they like it's like their weekly meetings, our weekly like get like getting drunk, like just bullshitting, like shooting the shit meetings are like so like essential to like their survival and support of each other in this yeah. town. Absolutely. It, yeah, they, they have to hold on to each other because otherwise they'll yeah. drown. But hey, I'm happy to hang out and eat Wheat Thins with yeah. cheese. Uh, I'm down for that. <laughs> My second favorite use of um, cheese was in a movie. First, obviously, UHF and a Twinkie Wiener Sandwich. Oh, also great. Third one for me, Goof Troop. Oh, 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 Goofy movie. Oh, yeah, maybe. Oh, am I wrong? Oh, yeah, yeah. Goof- I guess definitely, like, live action, uh, live action cheese was definitely... Uh, but yeah, Leaning Tower of Cheese. Uh, may, uh, I guess it's pretty the great. Most, definitely the. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Is it more iconic than the t- Twinkie Wiener sandwich? I don't know. Wow, that's these are the tough questions. Yeah, um, I think I think it might depend on who you ask. You know, the uh, their age might be the uh, that's true. differentiator. There. That's true. But I feel like definitely more people know che- Tower of Cheese now. But I that was one of my like uh, not to de- derail too much, but one of like. My like I'm bored in uh, quarantine things was like I'm finally going to try a Twinkie Wiener sandwich and <laughs> surprisingly good. Wow, Weird Al, you've done it again, you son of a bitch. <laughs> he did, yeah, son of a bitch. It's like yeah, oh god, yeah. It's like it's like just a bunch of it's like salty and sweet. It's just a bunch of like good shit like crammed together. Why not? You like you like you like hot dogs. You like Twinkies. Yeah. Who yeah. says no? You know, put a little cheese on top. <laughs> it's a it's, you know, you're going to regret it afterwards, but in the moment, <laughs> real good. I'll have to try it myself. It sounds, honestly, it sounds pretty good. And UHF, great movie. So UHF. if you don't know what we're talking about, you should definitely go yeah, check Weird Al's one movie opened up against, like, Batman and Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Right? Oh, my God. Not a not a great yeah. for not a yeah <laughs> like hey, as much as I love Weird Al not a su- like that's a, like a, that's like an early spring movie or maybe a fall movie not a not like a let's compete with Batman movie <laughs> definitely but in this this meeting that they're having here their little coven meeting Suki and Jane are talking about how they have reservations about moving on romantically because it's they're talking about how it's the the divorce is final but Alex says that they're too young to lock it up forever. Uh, they they start discussing their ideal man, and this is the criteria for their ideal mm-hmm. man: someone nice that you can like, someone with a brain so you can talk to them, someone you can be yourself with, and someone to nice. watch <laughs> over yeah. me. Has to be from out of town, tall. Well, and then I like this because they're like again to separate them as so alienated from the yeah. town they're like it has to be from out of town because have you seen the people in yeah. this town really perfect there um a tall dark prince traveling under a curse which is a really, a really specific and yeah. interesting yeah <laughs> and a romantic on a big black horse really handsome but not too handsome with nice eyes and a nice ass and a working penis size unimportant yeah. so 
that's that's their ideal man. Which um, I mean, I yeah, co-sign. That is a good. That is a that is a solid. That's a solid man. I mean, like I guess like. You know, it depends on where you are. If you want the, if you want to add the the out of town, but I guess there's always there's always something exciting about like somebody from out of town. So I guess no matter yeah, where you are, absolutely. like out of town is a good. It might be a fun stipulation. Yeah, I agree. Um, and enter a big black car instead mm-hmm. of a horse containing a mysterious stranger to yes. town, uh, played by Jack Nicholson. And he quickly, like, stirs up interest in who this guy is because he buys the town's landmark property, the Lennox Mansion, and he's going to be, like, tearing down all the stuff inside of it. Again, sort of looking into that theme of tearing down your sort of, like, traditional mm-hmm. morals and stuff and how this landmark property, like, what, is, what does that even mean? It just means that, like, these, these old people were there. Uh, A long time they ago. They were yeah. there. And, and they – exactly. And – things update and things change and that's what jack nicholson is here to do and and shake things up in this town and uh, one thing that's interesting is that his name seems like impossible to fix in their minds which is just a cool touch yeah it's a weird like it's such a good old like old english like devil thing it's something it's very it's very fairy tale-ish you know like no one in the town could remember his name it's great yeah and this uh, the arrival of nicholson unnerves Felicia Alden, who is Veronica mm-hmm. Cartwright's character. She's devoutly religious. She's the wife of the editor, Clyde Alden, who I mentioned. Um, and she seems to have, like, you're not sure if it's, like, a psychic connection or this religious connection, but, like, she seems much more aware of what's happening in terms of, like, this uh, ass- assault, quote, quote, I'm heavy yeah. finger quotes here on the moral fabric of the town. Um, is she's so hyper focused on it because of this fascination with her religious rules and everything that uh, she she is able to feel it in the town in the air. Yes. <laughs> Felicia is number one concerned about the nesting habits of the snowy egrets, which is a reasonable yeah, that's concern. Fair. <laughs> I do wonder, like in the eighties. Because, like, there's a lot of, like, 80s stuff where, like, the Environmental Protection Agency are, like, bureaucrats who just, like, get in the way of things. I, like, I think now we watch that and we're like, that's, like, that's a fair point, uh, Felicia. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, we should be concerned about environmentalism. I wonder if in the 80s it was more intended as, like, oh, uh, like, yeah. Like, get in the way. Like, yeah. <laughs> concerns for, like, birds. Whatever. Whatever, Walter Peck. It, it does feel that way. It does feel like that was probably yeah. the way it's intended, but... Now it just serves to ground Felicia yes. in maybe some real Absolutely. concern. Yeah, it gives her a little <laughs> bit of a, like, okay, yeah, it's like you're a grounded. Like, I, I can understand where you're coming from a little bit, Felicia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and she does just have this, like, bad yeah. feeling that I mentioned. But he does seem to be good news for Alex, mm-hmm. at least, because he immediately buys all of the fertility figures from Alex's, I guess she's, like, her distributor. Mm-hmm. Uh, she owns, like, a storefront or something that is uh, displaying... Alex's uh, fertility figures, and uh, she describes him as riveting, which is, I think, such a great yeah. description. It's it's such an evocative and, term. And, like, yeah, like, a perfect description of, like, Jack Nicholson. He is, like, riveted. Like, he, he, like, he, dem- he commands your attention in a yeah. very, like, what is coming kind of way. Like, you don't know what... You- He's riveting, like, a great story is, where it's like, what's, ha- what's gonna happen? What's he gonna do next? What's the next beat of this? 
the next beat of it is that that night at one of Jane's music recitals, there is a loud snoring that sounds like growls. And finally, he's revealed. Um, I love this camera shot as well, where it's the slow pan over the audience and then over to him. And he's, number one, completely inverted. And that's just a nice little touch. But then also, complete. it's like such a complete counterpoint of the reserved and prim crowd. It's you so... All of their fears are realized in this person, and, and yeah, I love it's it. so it's it is like such a amazing both build up and reveal of this character, and also I think just like a great example of how like Miller is really like directing every single aspect of, of this movie. You know, it's and because this movie is is like definitely a comedy, and and it's a very like funny intro. Like you hear the snores first, and then we like pan back through the crowds until we hit his like yeah like inverted back it's it's such a good shot but like the camera work really helps to like it like enhance that and like you know i i, I not to like complain about like keep like you know talking about movies today but like i i feel like com- you know most comedies what are the ones we get like they they have their comedic set pieces that are directed but then everything is just very Everything else is very, like, matter-of-fact and, you know, almost, like, sitcom-style. I mean, that's even true of, like, some action movies, you know, the set pieces are a big deal, but, like, the rest of it is just kind of, like, shot. And, like, this moment, this reveal is just, like, Miller is directing it. He, you know, he's thinking about how the camera's going to enhance the comedy and the character reveal, and it's so beautiful. Yeah, I think that it's interesting, and to your point, that a lot of comedies today feel so improvised yeah that it's hard to direct those because you like you don't know you don't know what's going to happen because it's not scripted and so you can't plan for like camera movements and, and stuff like that so you have to kind of just set it up and let them yeah. go and because this movie is so tight and so immaculately written in such a way that uh, everything is working to build, he's able to create these big sweeping camera movements that play for comedy in in a great way. Uh, The applause at the end of the performance wakes him up, and he goes just wild, clapping and cheering. Like yelling, bravissimo. Yeah, and it puts like a little twinkle in Jane's eye, and it's really, like, it's cute. I'm like, Susan Sarandon, like, it's such a fun performance in this little moment from her here. But the crowd is tittering. They are... Who yeah. is this? Who yeah, is this man? it is. It is a. It is already scandalous. It's already scandalous. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just this. Just this encouragement is is yeah. a scandal in this town, which is, I think, pretty demonstrative of uh, their <laughs> regressive thinking. Yes. <laughs> and uh, after the recital, Jane receives a bouquet of flowers with the initial D written on it, and this sparks uh, Suki's memory. And all at once, everyone yeah. else starts to remember it too. Yeah. Really, really cool moment, and yeah. uh, it reveals. That the man's name is Daryl Van Horn. And Suki's necklace breaks when she says the name, and the pieces of it cause Felicia, who just said, what kind of name is that, <laughs> to fall down the stairs. Uh, luckily, just breaking her leg, although it's pretty grotesque. Like, yeah. It's turned all the way around. Oh, yeah. it's And, like, you see, like, it's, it's a... It's a- kind of a far far shot so like you he doesn't dwell on it but you definitely see like the bone sticking out of it and i also like i mean it's a great like she is so like composed after mm-hmm. she does that she's like like uh you know like honey i i think i broke my leg just another yeah, great like like, ca- like telling us so much about that character that like even she is so like she has her like emotions and like 
passions on such deep lockdown that like sh- you do something that to her that will that any other person would be like losing their mind in pain. She's just like, I think I broke my leg, and she like yeah. she like she like has to like cover like she's still like she's wearing a, like a long Prudish dress. They like got a little hiked up. She still has to cover her the broken leg with that. Yeah, it's it's really great. Veronica, you're you're great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the next day, Alex is checking out the mansion, and mm-hmm. Daryl approaches and he invites her to lunch. And when she's funny, she he kind of like growls in approval and, and yeah. introduces himself. And I love their banter here. Yes. Great chemistry. There's been some reports of the two of them not getting along super well all the time. Uh, I mean, I don't know if that added to this sort of heat that's going on here, yeah. but it's it's a really fun scene where they're kind of having this back and forth. Yeah. What is it? A little it, late. I love that, like, in, a little late in the season for lunch, like, <laughs> back and forth. Yeah. And also, this is the first time that we really get to meet Daryl Van yeah. Horn. We've seen him be this over-the-top guy in the, in the scene before, but, yeah. you know, now we're really getting to get a feel for him and, and who he is uh, in terms of the way that he approaches people at the actual lunch, which is huge, which yeah. I also like. It's just like a little like, Hey, gluttony, one of the sins. You yes. Yes. Right. Just <laughs> indulgent. And like, outs- I also like love, like it's outside. It's like way outside of the grounds. I like, there's something so decadent about that idea of, you know, like we're bringing the food way, way, way out to the yeah. middle of this field. And it's still pristine too. Like yes. that they brought it all the way out there and it still looks immaculate is uh, certainly representative of that. And, He's coarse, but he has some interesting moments of dialogue here talking about the power of women and how he doesn't believe in marriage because it's bad for women and it suffocates them. And then the man complains that he's fucking a dead person and he's the one who killed her. her. Yeah, (laughs) very like he's telling like, you know, it kind of it keys into this thing that we're going to see throughout the movie where he's able to tell these women like exact like the thing the exact thing they want to hear yeah he's he's tapping into what they are thinking and that is why he's so interesting to them yeah um and so different from the rest of the people in town and to that end he specifically reveals that he's interested in women who are blossoming under after unloading a man through one of the three d's which are divorce death or desertion and huh isn't that a coincidence yeah yeah the three d then also you know like that he's a d name it all like ties together it sure does yeah um and they go in to check out the house which is buzzing with activity and he takes off his shirt and he puts on a robe and he luxuriates on the bed like a damn cat while coming onto her yeah and he's just making a meal of that scene it's so fun so great fucking like so sexy like it's crazy how i feel like jack nicholson like paunchy like let's face it like paunchy 50 year old jack nicholson like like you know thrashing around and like (laughs) like like really like just thrashing around with no restraint like in a bathrobe is has i feel like so much more (laughs) sexual energy and charisma than like any of these like beefed up like you know, like action star, whatever action, like who, like right. I, who's operating today that like has that level of like sexual energy and charisma as like Jack Nicholson, not really giving a fuck about what his body looks like. Know. It's like <laughs> so. It's it's like it's like all the it's like that's that's not the th- ultimately that's like not the thing that's sexy. Like what you know what you like how, what you do to your body. It's like it's just that like unrestrained like like fun energy that makes him so sexy. Yeah. He is going for it, and he's yeah. having a good time, and he's 
he's feeling he's feeling himself. He's yeah. feeling sexy, he's whether feeling, he looks it or not. Yeah, he's feeling like he's feeling it, and we feel it. And like he yeah. doesn't matter what it doesn't matter what like you know I feel I'm not not that I'm like body shaming Jack Nicholson here, but like <laughs> it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what he looks like. It's like he's just he's feeling sexy, so he is sexy. Exactly. And uh, Alex burns his ass and says no. And it's yeah. <laughs> so, pretty harsh. Yeah, it is harsh. But she starts to leave and yeah. he reveals that maybe he's a little, a little more than he appears. Yeah. Really cool. um, I do want to say I love the moment in that the, 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 when she first tells him no, she like kind of goes through like this like list of reasons of like why <laughs> she's saying no. And it's like you're, you know, you're, you represent everything that's bad about men. You're not funny. You have a, a terrible sense of humor. And like for <laughs> all of it, he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like he's like, he's like fair. And then like she's like, you smell. And that's the one thing that like phases him. He like, he's like, what? And he like smells himself. I think that's <laughs> such a funny, like, com- like such a funny choice of just like, that's the one where he's like, Oh wait, this 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 <laughs> this cut through a little bit that I that you yeah. think I smell. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. It's a great great little character choice, honestly. Yeah. And um, he describes himself as your average horny little devil. Yeah. Um, and he sort of manipulates her emotions through that sort of speaking to exactly what they're thinking. And um, eventually, she agrees to have sex with him. In the hospital, Richard Jenkins is at his Richard Jenkinsist mm-hmm. at as the beleaguered husband <laughs> spoon feeding his wife while she lambasts him. Veronica Cartwright again, just fantastic. First of all, not only is she giving this amazing speech, which is fantastic, but two, she's doing this while choking down spoonfuls of porridge that are coming in hot as he tries to make her be quiet. Yes, yes. Um, it's so funny that she is just choking those down, dead l- eyes locked onto Richard Jenkins. Yes. <laughs> and uh, this is ascribed to bone marrow leakage, but really we're like, oh, it's the connection to God reacting to the presence of Daryl. Yeah. You know, what, what really is it? And she says that she feels the evil crawling inside her uh, and freaks out when Suki drops in to uh, drop off some flowers for her, mm-hmm. which was very nice of her. <laughs> yeah, that was very nice. And uh, Jane is, uh, is practicing her cello that night when the bowstring snaps and the doorbell rings. And surprise, it's Daryl. And he kind of just like flirts at her <laughs> yeah. as she pours tea. Um, and she's reserved and, and kind of shocked by his rakish attitude. And um, another fun sin thing that I noticed here in terms of like the devil uh, and the seven cardinal sins, uh, he's wearing slippers the whole time for yeah. like that like sloth kind of thing. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Really fun. And she admits that he makes her nervous when she overpours her teacup and mm-hmm. fills the deep saucer as well. And that is such a funny reveal as like she's yeah. just standing there pouring and it slowly fills up and she looks down. And Susan Sarandon's like reaction to the fact that she filled it up too much is yeah, so it's great. Like, well, yeah. And the two of them sit down and they share a polite conversation. Jane explains that the Lennox mansion was built on a site where alleged witches were burned at the stake. And they commiserate about the witch trials being patriarchal bullshit mm-hmm. from doctors putting midwives out of business. And they kind of touch on the idea here that men are scared that yeah. women retain their vitality yeah. and threaten their power, which emasculates them yes. and lash out to cower women into being afraid of their power, men, and themselves. Yes. Which I think is, first of all, fairly accurate. And I agree. it reflects a lot of attitudes at the top in 
not just like many industries like he's talking about, but just our culture at large. It's, it's very easy to extrapolate this out on a larger scale. Yes, absolutely. And I, but, and I also think it like, I think like Nicholson is playing, but also is also here like playing a little bit of like an archetype. We'll see like a lot of like 20 years later, like kind of like he's kind, he's kind of a woke, he's kind of like a woke bro. Like, yeah. you know, he's definitely, I don't want to question him. I don't know if he like how he re- like, he really feels about this stuff, but he's also definitely employing like, like, you know, to lower her defenses and get in her pants. It would be a lot easier to feel the way, feel out the way that he actually uh, comes down on this if he wasn't in the middle of trying to seduce her. Absolutely. The whole time. Absolutely. He, but he's definitely, you know, I mean, he's, he's a woke bro. Good. Which, I, I think that's a great description. Yeah. And they go to play some music, which Daryl says is the one thing that makes him humble, which I think is pretty fun as well. Yeah. And Daryl compliments Jane's playing, but says that her bowing sucks because she's too restrained and he encourages her to let, let her loose. passions out. Yeah. She plays faster and faster, accompanied by Daryl on the piano, until finally the cello catches fire. Yeah. Um, much like her passions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, she drops it and rips open Daryl's shirt and jumps on him. And uh, yeah. Good good for you, Jane. You, you earned it. Good example of, like, you know... The physical me- metaphor that we're watching for sex getting like like just cartoonishly out like out of control <laughs> uh, yeah. in a way that like it's maybe like you know just as evocative as watching like the sex on screen but like obviously the I think the big ones coming up with it we'll talk about the Tennessee when we get to it but yeah very like right. Looney Tunes ish uh, uh, slapstick slapstick. <laughs> But sexy, ugh, such yeah. like, such a, a bizarre combo that you're like, this shouldn't work. But like Miller is such a like craftsman and so meticulous that it works amazingly. I totally agree, and that everything leading up to that scene is so fun for me as well. I mean, cause, so it's the following week. Alex and Suki are biking to Daryl's mansion, and she's so hype on him. She's like, oh, man, you're going to love him, and so is Jane, and it's going to be great. Um, And they arrive, and uh uh-oh, Jane's already there. Jane's already there. She's Glamorous as hell. Yeah. Um, She's living the life of Riley. She's got a martini there. She's killing it. Yeah. Um, But we've – so we've seen him interact with uh, Alex, and we've seen him interact with Jane. He now ignores both of them. Yeah. To flirt with Suki, and tensions and tennis flare among the yeah. women. <laughs> they go to play, they, she thought they were playing uh, what Suki thought they were playing singles, but they're actually yeah. playing doubles. So they it's sure are. it's what it's um, Jane and Daryl versus Suki and uh, Alex. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's it's a great super fun tennis match. Um, and as they're sort of working out their tensions with each other yeah. and this this sort of like jealous undertone there. They are hitting the ball and yelling at each other, and the, their combined emotional state yeah. uh, causes their powers to sort of emerge for the first time here. Yes, like fully, and, like them fully being in control of the powers. Yeah, and they they levitate this tennis ball and they slow it down, and they're like hitting it all over. And there is like this just slapstick portion of the movie that I really yeah love. And there's a couple uh, there's a couple like things I really love like. It seems like for a hot second, they're going to go down, like, the shittier route of, like, okay, this is where all, like, it's going to be these three women, like, fighting over, that's going to be the movie, it's going to be these three women fighting over Van Horn, and, like, they, 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 they tease you with that tension, and then, like, dispel it almost immediately, they're like, no, this is about, you know, these, like, 
a movie about how these three women's powers like amplify each other and like it's 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 the scene becomes about them like discovering that uh and it's like really like joyous and beautiful and but also like yeah it's just like zany as hell like slaps <laughs> like cartoony slapstick yeah it's it's a lot of fun ilm uh, industrial lights and magic the special effects company famous for star wars yeah i uh, was hired to animate the tennis ball during the magic moments but it turns out that all three actresses were bad at tennis and so they wound up just animating the whole thing yeah uh, barring a few close-ups which i i thought was funny and as you say this is sort of a metaphor for them figuring out their relationship together and how they're going to support each other yeah maybe form this like polycule and they relax it it cuts right from them playing this tennis game to them relaxing in the pool that night yeah and they're drinking and suki at this point is resigned to this seduction yeah daryl is laying down on her and she she talks about how she's unperturbed by the magic because nature is a peculiar place and yeah we see that there's this like tacit agreement among them that they're going to share Daryl and they all dance in the main hall surrounded by these beautiful pink balloons. And yeah, uh, it's super fun. It's really a gorgeous scene. It looks amazing. And and also like, I I love the fact that they refrain, like there's no scene in this movie. There's like, they refrain from giving us that scene where they're like, they all like are collectively like we're witches or like, we're going to have a, it's like, (laughs) it just lets it kind of, it, 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 I think that's one of the things, it makes it feel so natural. Like, this is just, like, a natural part of the world, and, like, it's just, like, this kind of, like, it feels like this is a culmination of, like, probably, like, a lifelong thing these women were probably experiencing individually, and they got amplified when they're together, and they, you know, there never needed to be that moment of, like, we're witches, we conjure the devil, this is what's happening. Yeah. It just, it makes it feel so much more natural, like, naturalistic, and, like, just, like it's just, like, you get sucked into the flow of it with them, and I think that kind of feeling is also what allows the more, like, you know, Looney Tunes-ish stuff to, like, really work. Yeah, and I think that that's also a sign of the movie, like, trusting its audience yeah. in a way to not have to have that exposition spelled out of, like, okay, we're witches and gonna share this guy, and now let's see what's gonna happen. Yeah. Like, won't this wacky town hate us? Like, that never happens because the movie trusts you to follow along with what's happening yeah. and pick up on the the relationship that's developing. Um, and I, when a movie trusts you, it fe- that sort of instills a confidence in the movie that... absolutely. Um, people pick up on and i was i mean i think that's something that's so like true of like across of like all of like miller's filmography is that he's trusts his audience but he's also good at like giving us like the subtle building out his worlds with the smallest of smallest of building blocks that all add up to just be like oh we, we get the whole picture they're doing this great dance scene it's a lot of fun but uh an aggressive dance move sends jane flying yeah and she goes across and she lands in the the chandelier, but she is soon joined by the others who float up to her and yeah. they're all flying around and we get to really see them enjoying their powers. And it's such a fun, happy moment yeah. for them that they've like, we've found our little group, group here. Yeah. We, we acknowledge what we are to each other. And, uh, and even like Nicholson's, you know, Van or Van Horn's like reaction in that moment is so just like genuinely, there's always the question of like, how much is he manipulating this women? How much is he taking them for a ride? 
But in that moment where he's like talking to his dog and he's like smiling, just watching them get absorbing joy from like the joy they're feeling. And he's just like, yeah. he's like, it's a genuine moment of wonderment where he's like, you know, look at him. These are, I think the line is something like, look at him. Like these, they're doing this. The, the, these are like humans. It's like, it's, uh, it's really, it's a really lovely moment that like, yeah. it's another one of that. Like, you know, I, I, I like that you could never fully peg what the relationship between the women and Van Horn is. It's like, and this, that's a moment that really like just makes it so much richer. Absolutely. It totally does. Unfortunately, a bell rings and they're snapped out of it and yeah. they all fall to the ground, but, or they fall in the, the pool, I think. Yeah. In the pool. Yeah. Uh, time passes and still manic, perhaps even more manic now, Felicia has a fit at church yeah. about how they're living in a den of iniquity, basically. Yeah, ex- she she goes off on this huge tear about uh, the, the mansion and how they're doing drugs and yeah. sex and uh, anal intercourse and, and dildos. dildos. Yeah, and it just starts <laughs> with, like, the priest is giving a sermon and then she just, like, she starts, like, she wisp it's like she just has a realization that she can't, like, you know, hold in. Like, it's, it's, there's, I love that there's nothing like, tr- it's not like something in church triggers it. It's not like the, the priest says something about the devil and then she's like, we've been all been, it's just like, she's like hit with something and she starts like whispering the word whore. And then she, yeah. like, it's like, it's like her own little game of, of penis where she has to keep yelling <laughs> the word louder. She's just like, whores, whores, whores. And it's like <laughs> such a wonderful mo. It's so good. It's so funny. She's so funny in this. Yeah, and she's literally dragged out screaming about yeah. dildos and yes. intercourse um, and begs to be heard. She literally begs to be heard yeah. before her voice is once again silenced by some men dragging her out. Yeah, And Jane is back at work, but now... She's loose. She's loosey goosey. She's got a crop top. She's got a perm. Yeah. Um, she's killing the game. She looks amazing. Susan Ugh. Sarandon, I'm in love with you for yeah. the record. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Be wonderful in this. Yes. <laughs> and she's bored at, at work now because the kids are playing the same shit shittily. Yeah. And uh, she has them throw the rules away. Yeah. Much like her and her new family. Yeah. She says, we're going to play, we're just going to put the, put the music away and we're just going to play the shit out of this. Hell yeah. It's just delightful. Yeah. Um, also, it was her instructions to the kids. I noticed were similar instructions to what Daryl said yeah. to her about feeling it pass over you and let it tingle. And um, it's just a nice, like sort of, she really took the the words to heart, yeah. and this is why she is so changed. For in my opinion, the better clearly yeah. for her opinion as well. And th- this is this cuts to when she's rolling down the supermarket aisle. Which yeah, this scene is so great. She's just killing the game. She reaches into someone else's hands to grab something out of yeah. it. And she's like, "Oh, I love this." Yeah, she's just buying like ju- the junk food she wants. <laughs> but this is when it's revealed that the paper has written about them mm-hmm. as Felicia wanted. When Jane realizes this performance is just incredible. You literally see her confidence puncture mm-hmm. and she. Yeah. Deflates. It is remarkable what Surrounded, happens in yeah. this scene. It's it's just so good. And Suki confronts Clyde at the newspaper, and he defends it as having only reported the facts, yeah. and that uh, he doesn't actually own the paper, and that it's Felicia, and that he wants her to see a psychiatrist for her visions, but she refuses. Um, and you know, you start to feel pretty bad for Clyde, although he's certainly um, yeah not doing very much to help with the situation. I mean, he's 
very uh, apathetic. Yeah, I besides mean, sort of luxuriating in his own misery. Yes, absolutely. I mean, he's like you know. I mean, there's a lot of interesting. To, I think just with the Felicia character and her relation, it's like there's a lot of interesting things to unpack. But he is definitely another like you know he's definitely fed off Felicia. The and like now that the relationship is going in a, in a in a hard direction, he like he's like he's like woe is me. Yeah, you can kind of look like extrapolate their past relationship where like oh he was working at this newspaper and maybe he starts dating the owner's daughter yeah and he uses that to leverage himself into a higher position yeah uh, because he says like he says that uh i mean he says they met in high school um and that she was like a and she was like a knockout and like yeah there is that sense of that there's that like you do feel bad for jenkins but there's also that feeling of like yeah like this you know you married like the prom queen and you're upset that 20 years later she's still not the prom queen kind of with her having been like she's like just like really conformed to the rules that like this town and this man probably like you know laid down for her this is like you yeah. know we are a religious town we are like conservative we are prudish we are th- and like she like and now she's kind of being punished for being the vessel for all of that yeah as much as you i agree you feel as much as you feel bad for jenkins you it feeling bad for him just makes you feel worse for her yeah because of what what clearly has led her to this point yeah over dinner the group debate breaking up because their outcast nature is starting to affect their lives and i think that this is sort of a very reasonable thing especially in today's culture i think that probably a lot of people can relate to this in terms of polyamory becoming a much more accepted thing but there are still people who are strongly against it and yeah i imagine that that can get really tough for Absolutely. the relationship and you know so. the, i you know and I, it's of the time so i get it but i feel like i feel like this movie made i mean there's a lot of stuff that if this movie were made today wouldn't be in it. So like I'm glad it was made what it was, but I feel like I don't think the movie would be as afraid of cuz there's that one line where I forget who it was, but one of them's like someone at school told her that like told my daughter that her mommy's a dyke and like I feel like the movie wouldn't be as uh, maybe afraid of explicitly, you know, I feel like the movie's afraid of like even implying that like there's something sexual going on between like the three of them. Not that there has to be, but like I think I I feel like the movie wouldn't be so explicitly like, there is not. Do not read this into it. Right. I agree. And Daryl, again, you're sort of not sure where he's really coming from, but he encourages them not to worry. He says that they're a family and that they'll stick together and don't worry, have these cherries. Yeah. And basically he tricks them into casting a spell on Felicia and things are not going well Well, for her. Yeah. Um, she's coughing up these cherry stems and pits, and it's pretty disconcerting yeah. that she has another fit about God making us in the image of goodness, but we've become animals devouring each other and the earth. And you know, he's you how she says that Daryl is using the women. She yeah. is the one who says this, and she's been right about yeah. like him coming to town and everything. And this is sort of what plants the seed because she says, "I have to warn them." Yeah. I have to warn these women, and and it is sort of like, is it a woman looking out for, yeah. for her fellow she's, woman? Yeah, because like, you're right. She's not totally. She's not totally wrong. There is a different reality where, in a different world, in a different set of circumstances, she could have been like the fourth in this, like in you know, 
uh, you know, a coven can have four. She like in the craft, like she could have been the fourth in this, but she was so like by circumstance dragged in this other direction. That, but it, like there is still like she is still like in her own kind of like warped, misappropriate or whatever way. She is still thinking about these other women and like looking yeah. out for them. She just doesn't know how to do it in a way that's not informed by her kind of like shitty like conservative you know right. exactly. brainwashing. Yeah, and she also. In what winds up being uh, an interesting uh, through line is she says that she needs to warn them about having his kids, which yeah. will destroy the world. Yeah, which she's right. Ab- I mean, she's right about. Yeah. But unfortunately for her, the vomiting persists and horrified by her uncontrollable behavior, Clyde kills her with the fire poker. Um, I think that's important. It's like, at the end of the day, like, the witches, they didn't kill her. It was like Jenkins being like, you're you're too out of control. Like, this is too embarrassing for me. I don't know how to deal yeah. with this. So, like, she's an out-of-control woman that, need, like, like, at some point just needs to be, like, put down. And, yeah, and they mentioned that he had, like, started drinking again and everything. And so, obviously, that yeah. happens in a lot of abusive relationships. There is an element of addiction. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah, he kills her, and this is when the live-action animatronic puppet of Veronica Cartwright would have been employed. Yeah. Um, apparently, it gathered a lot of attention on set because it could realistically thrash around and convulse and spew out massive amounts of vomit on cue. That's yeah. a quote. <laughs> um, but Ugh. preview audiences found the sequence too disgusting, and so uh, they cut out all the shots. And uh, we are worse off for it. But. Yeah, <laughs> boo. I would love it. Um, But after Felicia's death, the three women freak out and start yelling at each other and their power, again, it's sort of this heightened emotional state. It makes the ground sort of fracture beneath their feet, which is, again, very metaphorically appropriate in terms of the shattering of their Their uh, threesome or whatever you want. Yeah, their family. Yes. And this scares them and they agree to avoid each other and Daryl until this all blows over. Um, and Daryl is upset about being left out in the cold. Um, one thing that I noticed in the production design here that I really want to call out, that I thought was just like a really cool little touch, is that um, the centerpiece on the table here, as the camera pans to him, is art of Lita and the Swan, which is the story of a god coming to Earth and, in that case, raping, in this case, having sex with mortal women who proceed to give birth to kids that shape the face of the Earth. Um, it's that the Greek mythology, Zeus and, uh, and Lita. So just just a sort of an interesting I didn't know that parallel but there. I, I I love this. I love I feel I learned something. There we go. Yeah. Uh, and he calls Alex and he tries to convince her to see him, but she refuses yeah. and he leaves claw marks on the desk in a rage. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he tries to drop in on Suki, but she nervously stands her ground when uh, he tries to tempt her with some fruit. Another classic devil move. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Found, uh, fun and appropriate. Um, He tries to get Jane, too, but she's not home, so he leaves an ominous calling card of sheet music with a big D scrawled across it in blood. Uh, Pretty wild. But the reason that she's not home is because she's at the doctors who tell her that she's pregnant despite her previous inability Uh, to Mm -hmm. conceive. So there is, like, a magical element to it, but she's so happy, too. Like, the... The reason that her husband left her is because she wasn't able to conceive. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of sort of elements of her talking about feeling less than because she didn't have this. And while there certainly is nothing wrong with women who can't conceive, for her, this fulfilling of one of her desires and making her, her feel like 
that isn't the case anymore. She isn't less than, um, I think is, um, a really interesting and great moment of sort of like all of this negative stuff that's happened so far has still had these positive um, impacts on her. So like you said, she came from living her life. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, she wants, she clearly wants to be a mother and she has a lot of motherly energy to give. Yeah, exactly. And, And it's, it's a nice moment for her and it comes from her being true to herself and living and living yeah. the way that she wanted to which is great and uh, she heads to tell daryl who is not doing so hot yeah. in his despair um and she sees him fixated on a video of them saying their worst fears which he causes to become realized uh jane ages quickly and she runs out to warn alex although i mean her hand just kind of becomes a little wrinkly yeah 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 <laughs> her face is a little makeup but a little makeup yeah yeah, uh, but she's not in time to warn Alex, and Alex wakes up in a bed full of snakes. One thing I really respect about this movie, again, it's sort of like a production design thing, uh, a ton of different kinds of snakes. They yeah, weren't yeah, just yeah. like, they were just like, eh, give me a hundred ribbon snakes. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, they probably, I mean, it was like around Indiana Jones times. It probably just it was like heyday for like snake wranglers in Hollywood. <laughs> What a time to be a snake, snake wrangler. wrangler. Yeah, now like now those would a hundred percent be CGI snakes. Like it'd be oh, yeah. so sad. Absolutely. But th- that was Cher's biggest fear, and and Suki experiences sudden stabbing pains yeah. from using fruit like a voodoo doll. Mm-hmm. This is it gets kind of scary because she really like starts to fall apart pretty yeah. quick and it cuts to the doctors where he says that she's still hemorrhaging blood and they can't stop her and this the women are determined to stop Daryl yeah. from carrying out this sort of uh, murder, and um, it's revealed in this moment also that all three are pregnant. Yes, yes. Um, which is uh, another interesting point that uh, Veronica was in fact correct about. But there, it is also interesting that like Suki was like, "Oh, I get pregnant at the drop of a hat," and Alex had the one child already, and so it is sort of like all three of them getting that um like when they couldn't decide on the penis size either yeah. they like they all um they're on all al- elements of the spectrum yes and daryl is able to sort of fill this niche for all three, all three of, them. of them and uh alex goes to confront daryl where he flies off the handle screaming about how they abandoned him and all he wants is what any man wants and he pleads with her to come back to him again and this monologue from jack nicholson is powerful oh it's great yeah he just it's such a turn from this like like little slinky uh seductive guy who is all sweet talk and knows how to like manipulate them perfectly and for him to so clearly drop all pretense and finally get a look at what he is really feeling yeah it's quite a moment. It's such a good. It's so good. It's one of. I mean, we'll get to the the, uh, the next one later. But it's one of two really great. Like, r- I, I feel like the one at the end is a little more fun. Like this one is a little is definitely like the scarier of the two. But one of like just two, like two great like rage fueled Nicholson monologues in the movie. I and why I like. I think I'll get it. Like we'll get into some more when we're talking about like you know the final you know dissertation on the film. But I like it's why I like. I, I really think this is like Nicholson's best horror performance better than the shining. I think it, it hits, it hits so many, like in a way, in a way that's really well balanced and really works the film's, you know, benefit in a way that I think some of the performance in the shining does it hits all the great the hits everything you want from a Jack Nicholson performance in a bunch of different ways. Totally. And 
I'm, I think that it's really interesting that we talk about how there is this element of him using like woke language and yeah. stuff to to sort of manipulate these uh, these women and in this we sort of get the opposite where he is demanding yes. this love and affection and respect and she doesn't really have a choice because the life of her friend is, it, is really, yeah, it's, it's, it's it's like the mask it's like the mask drop he can say it he can he he knows how to say the words but he doesn't necessarily he doesn't like you know he walk he talks to talk doesn't walk to walk like there's even that like element of like when you know she finds him he's like iron his shirts and it's like never expressly said but it's like this idea of oh he's been reduced like you know these it's almost like these bitches have really have reduced him to doing like the woman the women's work it's like see what it's right. like see what happens when the order really breaks down it's like I'm. I, it's little old me ironing my shirts, and they're all burned as well. Yes, they're all burned. So, yes. like he, he's like, oh, I like I can't even do this well. And the power dynamic is just so shifted in one direction yeah. that share or share. Alex has no choice yes. but to basically agree to come back to him. Yeah, and I, I think it ref, it reflects what we see with like the like in, in like a in a grander, more archway. It's like what we see with the Jenkins character. It's like once things start going like south, it all like these are like nice, like you know, in their different ways. Jenkins and and uh, and Van Horn. I, I'm using one real name, one character name, but uh, are you know they they see they they are giving these women what they want. They're like good. They're like good guys, and then like things go a little like things just like are out of whack. They're, they feel they feel put upon. They feel like they're not getting exactly what they want, and they like they turn into monsters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, and and all of those things that Daryl uh, that Daryl said about men feeling threatened and how yeah. they use this power to cow women into doing what they want. It's all on He's display. He's embodying here. it. Yes. Um, so uh, really great scene. Yeah. Really great scene. Um, and uh, she uh, agrees, like I said, to, uh, to save Suki. And she does indeed stop bleeding immediately as soon as uh, Alex kisses him. And they realize together that the only way that they can get rid of Daryl is by using witchcraft against him. Otherwise, he will just kill them. Yeah. And the women reunite with him, pretending to have made amends. And after what was clearly a raucous evening mm-hmm. between the four of them yeah. uh, on that bed, Daryl heads out the next morning, which I think it's so funny that he's covered in smooch marks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a little, like, little gremlin-y t- at the end of Gremlins too, <laughs> like those big smooch marks. <laughs> um, and he, he goes out to get the women bagels and ice cream. Yeah. He heads to the deli and he asks them what ice cream they have, which is crazy, but it's less crazy than the deli owner who answers that they usually do have ice cream, but the freezer's Yeah, yeah. I think, I, I, yeah, I guess it's crazy that, yeah, that a deli's freezer is broken. Like, how are you keeping, how are you keeping anything fresh? Right. And also, I've never, look, maybe it's different in Massachusetts, but I have never been to a deli that sold ice cream. And a specific deli, yeah, because that's right, you're right, it's a deli. It's not like a corner store that has everything. It's like a deli that I guess sometimes has ice cream. Yeah, he walked out. He says, "Imagine that the deli didn't have ice cream." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. you're right. Like that's so, normal." <laughs> you're going to town. Why? Even if the deli did have ice cream, why wouldn't you just like like make like the two stop like instinctively yeah. make two stop <laughs> and go to like the ice cream shop? It's like small towns right. ice cream shops are generally pretty damn good. Right. There's no way that it's not better than whatever pint of ice yeah. cream he's gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it was funny too because when he before he asks, I'm like. 
oh, great idea by them because it's so natural to get bagels and ice cream. You obviously have to go to two different yeah. places. That'll create like more of a time for them to get their plan yes, done. Yes, yes. And then for him to show up at the one place be and like, that yeah, to be yeah. – <laughs> it just it's – it's a funny moment for me. But um, wh- like I said, while he's out of the mansion, they, they sort of scatter – to enact their plan. Um, and Suki steals his uh, grimoire, the Malefico, which is a fun name. And Alex uses candle wax and Daryl's hair to create a voodoo doll in his image. Although, like they say, it doesn't matter that it doesn't really look like him. And uh, the three women start to stab the doll, hoping that Daryl will leave as a result. One of the sort of um, like visual film language jokes that I really like about this movie is... They're like, oh, this won't hurt him, right? This will just make him leave. Yeah. And then it cuts to him in agony. agony. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I just think that's a really like great cut joke. Um, and they drop some feathers on him, too, which he coughs up. And then the wind starts to blow him away. Yeah, feathers disappear. And, yeah, and he, ju- he blows right into the church, where, of course, the sermon is applicable to yeah. the situation that's happening. And he realizes the cause of his plight. Is- and... It's it's the witches. Yeah. And this is where he, we get his second, like, wonderful monologue where he talks about, like, it's our women, like, uh, uh, did God do this to men on purpose or was it an accident? Because if it's an accident, maybe we can do something about it. Maybe we can <laughs> build up our immune systems, find a vaccine. It's great. It's such a fun, like, scene for him to just go off with. He's also, they're doing the same cherry trick, and so he's also vomiting yes, up. Yes, <laughs> On to, like, like, that is, like, not, we get that one, like, because we don't really get a, um, the, I forget the principal's name, but we don't really get, like, a, like, a full, like, you know, denouncement, like, the, the principal getting his, like, come up and so it's just, like, he gets, he gets barfed on. That's his, <laughs> that's his come up ends. <laughs> We're running out of time. Yeah, yeah, just have yeah. Jack Nicholson in the church. He gets barfed on. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, he 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 does this this huge rant about women as one of God's mistakes, and he he starts talking about um, he compares them to earthquakes and tsunamis, and how when God makes a mistake, you just call it nature instead of evil. And this sort of runs interestingly parallel to what Suki was saying earlier about women being more natural and connected to nature, and. Uh, mm-hmm. And all that jazz and how she's not worried about things being peculiar because that is nature. And, uh, yeah, it just it sort of has this interesting parallel. He's going off. It's it's a lot of fun. And the spells, unfortunately, didn't actually send him away. It just kind of pisses him off. Yeah. And so an enraged Daryl races home to punish the witches. And there's more fun magic stuff that happens to him on the way back. Uh, thanks to them. Or less to them being punitive still, but just like household droppings. Yeah, and, like, yeah they're like fumbling the, the doll. <laughs> Daryl makes it back and they run to play it cool. And when he arrives, he's looked better. Yes, I'll he's say. looked better. Also, oh, another great, a uh, great, like when he finally comes upon them, like in the TV room, Great, great, like, 80s, like, wall of TV room. And, you know, they're all trying to play it cool. There's, like, a great shot where, like, they all lean in and, like, share. And, like, one's reading a book, but, like, Cher lean, leans in and she's, like, biting the tip of a banana. <laughs> just another great, like, you know, phallic food moment. And very fun. Like, just another, like, another great Miller, like, using the camera to make the comedy moment. Right. He so he shows up and he's turned into this sort of like monstery version of himself and he huffs and he puffs and he tries to blow the house down and they all run to get the voodoo doll again and they grab it 
but while throwing it to each other, Jane drops it and it shatters. And I like this sort of like visual metaphor of it breaking into three parts because then they each have to have one and they all have to be active in its destruction. Yeah. It, they're not allowed to just like the way that they've supported each other the whole time. They have to support each other again mm-hmm. here. And it takes all three of them to have this moment. Yeah. And uh, they throw it into a little fire and his human sh- or no, his human shell is broken. Yes. And because of this dropping, and he's now this huge monster Which is, outside. Like, so looks so. I mean, it's like very. We see it like briefly, but it looks so good. Like, it looks yeah. like like I don't know. It, it's an amazing special effect. It looks amazing, and the fact that it like still has like Jack Nicholson's yeah. like stretched out face on it yeah. and everything. It, it's really wild. And uh, he tries to destroy the mansion, but each one of them throws their part in the fire. And they look outside and they see that behind this monstrous exterior, he was, in fact, just a shriveled up little worm, pathetic, uh, as he claimed all the other uh, men from before to be. Yeah. And uh, he blinks out of existence, not to be seen again, or is he? Yeah. Cuts it 18 <laughs> months later. <laughs> right. Uh, the women are living together in Daryl's mansion. Great ending for them. Yeah. They they really made out like bandits here. Yeah. Um, they they got to even keep Carol Strucken. He's yeah, still he's, the servant yeah, yeah, there. He's, yeah, he's uh, he's like the nanny now, and he's he's really like in, he seems to really like thriving in it in the yeah. in the role. I'm guessing he's some sort of like like servant of the devil, and he's just like the, these kids are the, like now these kids are the devil. It's <laughs> Way like better. Oh, great. This is what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, each each one of the women has a new baby son. They carry their pregnancy to term, and each boy shares uh, his mother's hair. They're playing together when Daryl appears on this like TV wall, and he invites them to give Daddy a kiss. But before they can do so, Alex, Jane, and Suki appear and switch off televisions, yeah. much to the devil's chagrin. Yeah. And that is the end Which of the movie. Is, yes. And just, yeah, and it's a I really and I love the ending. ending. I think it's like like I said, you know, it's really lovely that I, like I said, I think the whole movie is about these these three women like realizing that they can exist, like it pushing against the boundaries of what a family is or is supposed to be, and realizing they can have that with they can have they can have that with each other without you know right. without um, without a man, you know, like they like you know, I think they 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 bond around this they bond around Daryl because he kind of gives them a somewhat legitimate like, you know, this is a legitimate thing because there is a man, but they're like no, we can be our families can blend, we can be this family unit supporting each other. It doesn't need to adhere to like anything anyone understands. Like it, it, it even is kind of like the idea of them being this, like while they are outcasts as like when they are this hair, this harem of women, like surrounding this like one guy, that's still like an understandable idea. Like it's still like, that's a th- like a, they're sluts, but like we understand them within terms of like, w- of like a thing that already exists, but they're like, no, we're just going to like build our own. It ends with them being like, no, we can build our own family without any kind of like, we make this, we make the family, we make the structure. We can decide what it is and it isn't and it's I don't know I love it I agree yeah I think that again there is sort of this um, way that it still applies to today and people are still able to relate to it because now more than ever people are looking at sexuality as a journey Mm -hmm. and not just a single destination that you wind up at and the, these women, it is perfectly real for them to have felt that it was that they were in love with Daryl and that they had this great relationship with him. But for them to have come out the other side yeah. and feel like they uh, are still in love with having this family yeah. together, 
the three of them, I, I think it is really great. And I think it's beautiful that they were able to come together in this way after having such restrictions placed on them at the beginning of the movie. It's a great arc for all three of them. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great. It's wonderful. Um, as far as the differences from the book, I mentioned that we would get back into these. Uh-huh. There are a few surface level changes, like their last names, who has what hair color. But after Clyde kills Felicia, that's where things really start to change in terms of the plot. Clyde, in, after killing um, his wife, hangs himself inst- instead of getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's dead. And they also have two children in the book, a son named Chris and a young adult lab assistant daughter named Jenny. Um, She's, like, just leaving their house and everything. At one point, Daryl abandons the witches to start a relationship with Jenny, Mm -hmm. who he actually winds up marrying. And the witches are pissed because now they feel abandoned. It sort of reverses that. And they cast the spell on Jenny that gives her breast cancer and kills her. And so Daryl flees town with Chris as his new lover. Yeah. And so you still get this sort of like sexual journey uh, exploration. But the three witches conjure up three more perfect non-demon husbands and marry them. Bingo, bango, bongo. That's the story. And there's also – it's just not as good. It's not nearly as interesting. They're like (laughs) for a lot of reasons. Um, Right. I mean, Updike is a – I mean, from – I haven't read a lot of Updike. I can't can't even tell you. I remember what I have and haven't read. I've never read this book. But I do know he tends to be thought of as a not unproblematic writer that maybe hasn't – you know, doesn't always do the best uh, job, if ever, with his, like, female characters. And I do think, like, this – like, you know, the thing that I was kind of, like, commenting on about how I'm glad the movie like like resists like teases you but then like completely rejects the idea that this is going to be about like these women being like vengeful and mean spirited right. towards other women like that the the book like uh, does eventually go in that direction with you know the Jenny character or the Jenny character is gross, right. but I don't like it I totally agree. I think that it's exactly what movies like Jennifer's Body are talking yes. about. Oh, it, absolutely, sort of, yeah. Right, it's weaponizing women against each other, mm-hmm. and um, the way that the movie changes that, I think, is 1,000% for the better. And uh, we've reached now the part of the show where we sum up exactly why this isn't just a good horror movie, but it is the best horror movie ever made. And Joan, I'm going to let you kick things All off. All right. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of good reasons why this is the best horror movie ever made. First of all, let's. I mean, like we've talked about, the cast is just exemplary. It's, I mean, it's rare even in this day of what we like to call like elevated horror that you get like a cast this, you know, to the wall, amazing, at the peak of their games for like, yeah, and definitely this is maybe you'd say is more horror, like fantasy horror comedy than just straight up horror but still maybe like I guess you know I guess that you got you have a few from this era like definitely Death Becomes or has a cast that's like all that kind of like higher their game um, like Silence of the Lamb is a little bit of that but that's also definitely like I think you were getting like Jodie Foster and like Anthony Hopkins before they were like these are like star yeah. stars so, upswing still yes exactly um, so there's so there's that right off the get the bat and you know it's it's I, I think in a weird way or not a weird way, but I think, like, within the context of, like, 80s, like, of 80s horror, 
you know, 80s horror is kind of, like, defined by these. You know, by the... A lot of it was very slashery, but I think, like, like 80s was definitely, like, the personality, like, uh, there was, like, the, the personality era. I can't remember... Oh, attitude. The attitude era, yes. 80s was, like, the attitude era of horror, where we had, like, <laughs> the, where, like everything revolved around these personalities. And obviously, you have, like, the big ones, like, you know, the ones we remember, like, that are really, like, like iconic, like, Freddy and Jason. But I feel like Van Horn is kind of, like, the, like, the peak of it. He's, like, the peak personality horror villain or attitude horror villain he's so like so good so charming so fun um if it was a probably if this was a cheaper movie with with you know small with like smaller stars it would have been we would have gotten sequels but it was a big but we it was a yeah. one off with like huge stars that you couldn't recreate so we didn't get sequels um but van horn is just like such great attitude era horror yeah like and obviously because you have like nicholson giving i know i went off, i went off on this a little bit but i think you know obviously shining's great i love the shining but i think i think like what stephen king's complaint about the movie which i think is right is that like nicholson is kind of not perfectly balance for the role of like Torrance like like Nicholson gives you crazy wild-eyed vibes from like minute one and like that kind of like deters from the story about a like like an like you know a kind of like average family guy who's trying to like like exercise demons that is then like sent off the rails by ghosts but where this is like like this performance is like Nicholson is so perfectly calibrated for this performance and this movie he never has to rein it in he never has to play anything but like his like wildest Jack Nicholson best to make it work and make it work for how it should work in the movie but like there's still like an evolution to it. Like there's still like a natural flow to it where it's like, you know, he's wild. He's a wild devil man from moment one, but like he's allowed to be like the like fun charismatic version of that, that you can really buy into at the beginning. And then it kind of like takes you and then like, but you're still aware that there's like this power and this like creepiness behind it that is allowed to, that you can always, that is allowed to like explode at the end in a really great way. So yeah, there's all that. Those are my, those are my, uh, those are my initial thoughts. Great. Hey, I totally agree. I think that this is the best horror movie ever made for me because, I mean, like you sort of touched on, this is an incredible cast. It is all four of the main stars are Oscar winners or Oscar nominees. And it's so easy to understand why when you look at them in this movie. And the fact that they're all getting to have fun, too. Yeah. Like, the fun in this movie totally comes through. I have a ball watching it. I think that it's absolutely a delight and getting to experience these women finding joy in their lives is such a wonderful moment. It's such a wonderful journey to go on with them. Um, And like you say, you know, Jack Nicholson is getting to sort of ham it up and, and chew on the scenery a little bit, but he also gets to have these fun, dramatic moments as well, where he brings it down a little bit. And, I mean, I've already given major props to Veronica Cartwright this entire way, yeah. but one one last shout out for her because she is just so, so good in this movie. All that on top of the fact that you have George Miller really absolutely nailing the direction, yeah. making the camera work interesting instead of flat and boring. Because if you have a dead camera, that magic of this movie doesn't come through. Absolutely, yeah. And it just has such a fall atmosphere. It's the perfect movie to watch as you're leading into the like yeah. horror season. Yes. Um, it's just 
wonderful, gang. I love it a lot. It, you know what I find? It's either, it's both a really, if you're having like a, a horror movie marathon, it's a, either a really great start or a really great finish. Like it bookends really, it bookends really well. Um, yeah. Um, like I said, I saw this like th- uh, a couple of years ago, I went to like a cemetery every year here in LA. This there, there's every uh, summer, not this summer, but past summers, there were um, they do cemetery screenings and they always do like one all nighter. And um, I went to see this on a triple feature, like in a cemetery. It was the craft, practical magic, and then this. And this oh was like God. the perfect wow, such a good, like the perfect <laughs> capper. Um, that's a great triple yeah, feature, it, too. Yeah, really, it was very fun. Very, like, one of my favorite, like, L.A. movie, like, just movie-going experiences of my life in general. But awesome. I also, yeah, like, it's 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 very good. It's a very good, like, spooky, like, you know, spooky season movie. Um, I also think, um, I, 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 you know what's weird? I was, like, watch, watching this movie to, this time today, I was like, this movie would be, like, a good double bill with, Hellraiser, and I was, and I also like started like putting together this theory of like, is like, is like Jack Nicholson, is he like a Cenobite? Is he like a Loki Cenobite? Because like, <laughs> like I think both movies they're kind of like reflections of each other in that. Pinhead always has like Pinhead always has his like little speech about how like you know like the Cenobites are like travelers of dimensions who are right. like experiencing like testing out the 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 extremes of hu- both humans like pain and the boundaries of human existence of, yeah pain and <laughs> yeah, experience ple- yes it's like he's always like pain and pleasure but like you never see the pleasure it's always just like people getting like <laughs> torn apart by hooks it's like I don't know what pleasure he's talking about and, but I feel like Van Horn is like the ob- he's comes to like to like test the limits <laughs> of like human like pleasure and they're both about people who like conjure up this thi- the thing they think they're looking for and like the havoc it, re- it wreaks on their lives And but like one yeah. is all about like let's like just like indulge in the pleasure and, and the ecstasy and the other is like let's indulge and like let's in like it's just like very cool so like like, and I was, and I like thinking about that. I was like, I looked it up. I was like, holy shit, these movies came out like within four. I think like this came out in June or July of '87, and Hellraiser came out in October. And it's like weird. Right. Like, what was go like like what was going on at the end of the '80s that horror was very <laughs> into like exploring the extremes of human experience of, of human experience. Like it's all the, that coke indulgences. <laughs> I don't know. It's it like, yeah, it's, it's a, an interesting little thesis that I could dig deeper into. Absolutely. Yeah. But I, I, I totally agree. And I honestly, that sounds like a fun, uh, fun double bill yeah. because I would start off with Hellraiser. You get, you get all that great gore and everything. Yeah. And you kind of taper off yes. with this nice, still has some fun uh, moments that kind of set you off at a, a little unease there. For sure. but, um, it still has the, comedy and um the only thing that would make this movie better is if like hellraiser it had chatterer in it oh yeah chatter i love that well, guy. yeah chatter and maybe butterball <laughs> two great yeah. all right put the whole put the whole crew in. yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah i love cenobites put them in anything love the Senna crew yeah and so that's why this is uh, the best horror movie ever made joan i want to thank you so much thank for you for coming having, on yeah and uh, please tell people where they can find you, watch you, listen to you, all that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Instagram as Joan Haley Ford. I'm also on Twitch a lot. My Twitch is uh, twitch.tv slash Joan Haley Ford. So if you can find one, you can find them all. And that's it. Yeah. 
Great. As far as my plugs, I'm on Twitter at LittleHorrorPHL. I'm on Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash LittleHorrorPHL. Um, if you want to support the show there, you can not only get ad-free and early episodes, but you can even get bonus stuff. Um, and isn't that exciting? So <laughs> support, us, support us there. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, leave a rating and a review if you're enjoying the show and you haven't done that already. But uh, that's pretty much it. Just go to Little Horror PHL at all of the places. And that's it. Bye. Bye.